Happy Father's Day to all our dads. It is good to be with you and uh, hope you enjoy the day. Make sure you do get your donut um, before the kids get over there and get all your donuts. So, um, But we are glad to be able to share with you and just be with you today. Uh, I remember the moment that I realized I was going to be a dad. Couldn't have been more excited. Um, at the same time, probably more overwhelmed. And uh, I, I love how comedian Jim Gaffigan talks about fatherhood and what it means to have multiple kids. And he talks about just picture yourself drowning and then somebody hands you a baby. And uh, I, I think that that's, there's so much truth in that. Um, there were so many moments that I'm going, I have no idea. I'm, I grew up in a great family, had a great model of what fatherhood looked like. And at the same time, there's moments as being a dad, you're going, I have no idea what to do with this. And uh, it's driven me to my knees. It's driven me to read books. It's driven me to ask my own parents and other parents that are so much further down the road because there's so many of these moments as a dad that you feel like you're stuck in a ship without a rudder. And you're just kind of going along for the ride, hoping that the ride ends in the right place. Um, which is exactly the conversation that we're going to have today. So we're in a series that we're walking through the book of Genesis, and today we're going to be taking a look at the story of Noah and the ark. And uh, most of you, even if you haven't grown up in the church, maybe this is your first you know, experience with the church, at some layer you probably have heard of the story of Noah and the ark and the idea of the flood. Now, picture this. Noah is commanded by God to go out and build this boat. And yet, it's not really necessarily a boat because it didn't have an engine, it didn't have a rudder, it was more there just to float along for the journey of what God has. And the reality is, so much of our life may feel like that, where you just feel like you're on for a ride and you have no idea where the end destination is. Maybe for some of you today, that's exactly how you feel. Like you walked in this morning and life is just is going and you feel like, man, I, I wish I could predict how this was going to end. I wish I could predict where I'd be. But you recognize that there's so much of this that is just out of your hands. There's today, my prayer is that each and every one of us will come to walk through the story of Noah and look at his response to God. And, and really the incredible moment that plays out in human history and see ourselves in this story, that we're able to align moments of our life that maybe it just doesn't make sense. We're looking for answers. We're looking for God to, to show up in the midst of the storm, in the midst of a rudderless boat, just going, God, I, I, I need you to show up, and I'm trusting you that you're there. Now, the big idea, where we're going to focus in on the conversation today is, is simply this, that when I live by God's grace, I'll listen to God's voice. When, when I live by God's grace, I will listen to God's voice. In other words, think about it this way. When we experience grace in our life, when we experience God's goodness, his provision, his blessing in our lives, even in areas of our life where we sit in there and go, I don't deserve it in that, we have a tendency to shift. We tend to, to listen. We tend to kind of go, well, let me tune into this because that was something that wasn't expected, and now I experience it. One of my humiliating moments in my life, I was on the way to my doctor's office, and I realized this was a very, very important doctor's appointment. Some of you know my story and all the different knee surgeries I've had. And I'm, I'm, I'm teetering back and forth that we had a surgery. It didn't work. We're trying to figure out what the next steps are. And, 
and I'm like, I've got to get to the doctor. And my doctor's office was about 45 minutes drive from our house. And I got about halfway there and realized that I left all my x-rays, all the MRI reports and everything at the house. And I'm going, I, I can't do that. I, this is important for the conversation that we're going to have. So I, I call my wife in frantic. I said, hey, I'm halfway to the doctor's office. Can you meet me halfway between where I'm at right now and bring those? And I'll just try to call ahead and hopefully they'll allow me to keep my appointment because I know I'm going to be late at this point. I said, why don't we meet at the church? So we lived in Arizona at this point. We had a church building. I said, just let's, let's meet at the church and we'll go from there. And I just, I flip my car around and I just hammer it. As much as a 2001 Toyota Corolla can hammer it. I hammered it. And I'm flying. Like, barely. But I'm flying. And I turn around the corner and I've got one mile to the church. And I'm like, okay, hopefully she's almost here. And all of a sudden, whoop, lights go on behind me. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And I pull in the church parking lot. And the police officer gets out of the car, and I'm going, this, I can't believe this has happened. As soon as the police officer comes out of the car, my family pulls into the parking lot. And she walks up, and she goes, boy, you win the award. I said, well, thank you. For what? She goes, you're the fastest one today. And, and I just looked at her, and she's like, where were you going? I said, right here. I said, I'm the pastor of this church. I, I was going right there, and that's my family. And, and I said, I have no excuse. I just need grace. And she looked at me like, what? And I said, I'm just asking for grace. And I got grace. And I, I promise you this, I drove the rest of the way doing the speed limit. Like there's a moment where you realize when you experience grace, you tend to listen. You know, you, you tend to pay a little bit more attention. And, and what I want us to understand as well is that when we experience God's grace in our lives, our attention span should naturally tune in to his voice and what he's directing and what guidance he's calling for us in our life. If you're walking through life and you're having a difficult time understanding the voice of God, maybe you haven't truly experienced his grace. Maybe there's something deep down inside that has just gotten in between you and him and, and you haven't actually opened up and allowed yourself to surrender to the point that you've actually experienced and acknowledged his grace in your life. For others of you, it may be a hurt, hang-up, habit that's just there. And that hurt, that habit, that hang-up, that thing is getting in the way and is creating a blockade between you and God. And as a result, you truly haven't allowed his grace to become real in your life. Because when we experience his grace, our tendency is that we listen to his voice. And my, my encouragement to you this morning, if there's a hurt, if there's a hang-up, if there's a habit that's getting in the way of you experiencing God's grace in your life, confess it. Give it to him. And allow God's grace to actually move you through it. Now, the story of Noah really is broken into three specific areas. You have Noah builds a boat. He gets on the boat. He gets off the boat. It's that simple. Noah builds a boat. He gets on the boat. He gets off the boat. 
I want us to begin today in Genesis chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go and open to Genesis chapter 6. We're actually going to spend a little bit of time in chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8, making our way through this this story. I want us to begin here in Genesis chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 8. Verse 8. And it simply says this. It says, But Noah found favor with the Lord. That's an interesting thing to just stop and pause on. This is before Noah has actually done anything. He hasn't built an ark yet. God's God's grace came to Noah in his life, and he accepted it. Noah didn't actually do anything up to this point to deserve God's grace, which is a great reminder for you and I, we can't do anything to earn his grace. There's nothing that you and I can do to earn God's love or to earn more of his love. God loves us because of who he is, not necessarily because of who we are. God's grace was upon Noah. The the first thing that we need to begin to understand, and I think the question that also tends to reign out of this, when we talk about Noah, we talk about the flood, we talk about building this ark, why the flood? Why in the world would God send a flood to cover the face of the earth? Well, let's go ahead and continue to read that, and let's, we'll walk through some answers on this. So let's begin in Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 9. So in verse 8, it says, Noah found favor with the Lord. Verse 9 says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now, what, let me pause there. It's not saying that Noah is perfect. It's not saying that Noah did everything right. It's saying that Noah was paying attention to God and God's work in his life. He lived a life that was above reproof. He tried to do things that were right. Noah still messed up. Noah still sinned. Noah still did things that you sit there and go, why in the world were you thinking, Noah? We see that that is true even after the flood is all come and gone. That Noah does things that you're sitting there going, come on, dude. Noah is not perfect, but he's living the right life. He's tuned into who God is and what God is wanting to do. Verse 10 says, Noah had three sons, Shem, Han, and Jepheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. Is the earth still corrupt in God's sight? Yeah, God's perfect. He's holy. He's set apart. Ever since Genesis 3 happened, the earth, the world, has been corrupt. So the the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth, get this, was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth." Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And then you kind of continue through the chapter and we get the dimensions and the picture of what the ark was going to look like. You skip down to verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So why did God send a flood? Well, first of all, this. The flood shows us that sin is serious. The flood is the thing that God is demonstrating to us that he takes sin very, very serious. In other words, we cannot think that we can go through life, do whatever we want, and there's no consequence. You can't play games with God. He takes it serious. God is holy. He's perfect. 
and he is the right judge. Our nature, our natural disposition in life is not godly. It is not holy. We have an inclination to not want to trust God, to not value the things that God values, to decide what truth is for ourselves. And so why would God wipe us all out? If you ask yourself that question, why in the world would God wipe us out? I'm then assuming that you assume about yourself that you're not as bad as the way that you actually are. And friends, that's part of the problem. God is perfect. He's absolutely holy. There is no room for unholiness in his presence. His holiness demands judgment. His love demands judgment. The flood reveals us that sin is serious. God takes it serious. The second thing that we see, God calls Noah to build this ark. The ark shows us God's grace. God has a way out of our sin if we're willing to trust him. But that's the key thing. We have to be willing to trust him. So what does it look like for us to listen to God's voice? Because when we get down to verse 22 there, it says Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him to do. So what does it look like for us to listen to God's voice? The first thing is this. It means that we walk with the Lord. We simply, we walk with the Lord. Noah is a man, he's living the right life. He's living above reproof. God, get this, God asked him to come and build a boat. Why a boat? Like, maybe at this stage of the game, nobody actually knew what a boat was. He goes into this conversation with Noah. Hey, I'm going to make it rain. And it's going to cover the, we're going to have this great flood and everything on the earth is going to be covered. He's probably going, what is rain? What's a flood? The interesting thing is that God asked him to do things that he didn't understand. There are moments in our life from time to time that God is going to ask you to do something that may seem totally nonsensical. Yet in the moment when God's voice is distinct and he's beginning to move in our lives, we have to ask ourselves, do I trust him? Do I trust this? Listening to God means that we're going to walk with God. Which means that when we walk with God, we're going to actually do what God asks us to do. The fascinating thing now about what you see in this, and let's just talk a little bit because I know there's questions about the science. Like, could this really happen? Could, could this ark actually be developed, be created, all the animals on the planet make its way into it, and it would actually last. A couple things. The dimensions of the ark, when you actually read through in chapter 6 and you actually begin to map it out, the dimensions of the ark, which is based on the cubit. And we know that the Egyptian cubit, which was used to build things like the pyramids and everything else, was roughly 22 inches. So cubit was from the tip of your hand down to your elbow. 
So when you look at the dimensions of the ark, the first interesting thing is the dimensions are six to one. So six, when you look at the length, to one looking at the width of the ship. You know the ratio by which ships are built today? Six to one. Because that is the prime ratio for flotation and navigation for a ship today. It's fascinating that God understood the scientific ratio of what makes a good ship in the midst of an ocean, in the midst of a major flood. Six to one. Now, here's an interesting thing as as well. How did the ark actually work? It's been calculated that roughly the cubic feet of the ark, if you base it on the Egyptian cubit, was 2,773,925 cubic feet. That's a big boat. And it's actually been calculated that you could store roughly hundred more than 125,000 sheep-sized animals and still have 1.5 million cubic feet of free space. Now, there's a man that wrote a book much smarter than me, named John Woodmore Rope. He's the author of a book that's definitive Noah's Ark, a feasibility study. You can kind of read through it. He estimated that only 15%, so about 85% of the animals in the ark would not have been larger than a sheep. So when you think of all the animals that came in, pairs and stuff of that sort, 85% of the animals roughly would have been this size or smaller. And that didn't take into the possibility that Noah could have brought infant animals onto the ark that grew into adult animals. So how many animals? When you look at it, that Noah was commanded and God brought to him every kind in pairs. Kind not necessarily meaning species. We, we understand that species develop over time. There's a difference between what we call microevolution and macroevolution. You know, that dog breeds, for instance, have developed over time and have very specific niches as to what dogs are kind of focused in on do. Cats, just useless. Dogs, they have a purpose, all right? But when we look at these, these animals and we think about the different kinds, this, this man, John... Um, Woodmorat estimates there's roughly about 8,000 kinds that actually exist, not broader, not broadened out into different species. And when you begin to think about it, think about this. He says, even if we presume the kind is synonymous with species, There are not very many species of mammals, birds, amphibians, and reptiles. The leading systematic biologist, Ernest Mayer, he actually gives a number. There's roughly 17,600 species, allowing for two of each species of the ark, plus seven of so few called clean animals. In a reasonable increment for known extinct species, it's it's obvious, he says, that there were not more than 50,000 animals on the ark. So some have estimated that there was as many as 25,000 kinds of animals represented on the ark. That's a very, very high estimation. 
With two of each kind and seven of some, the number of animals would just roughly exceed 50,000. That's not even that much when you begin to speak about it. Regardless, he says, whether there were 16,000 or 25,000 of animals, even with two of each and seven of some, scholars agree that there was absolutely plenty of room for all the animals on the ark, plus food, plus water, and still had room to spare. Fascinating. Makes me begin to question, how many times in our own life do we discount what God has actually pictured out and mapped out perfectly in our own lives? What are we missing that God is trying to get our attention on? Because our tendency is to run in the wrong direction. If you want to walk with the Lord, if you want to experience his voice, there also has to be a willingness to roll up your sleeves and do the work that God has called you to do. In other words, you have to care more about what God says than other people's opinions. Don't use the issue of itself as an excuse. Deal with it and move forward. Think about Noah's predicament. Nobody had seen rain. Nobody had experienced a flood. God says, I have a hobby for you. I want you to build this ark. And I'm going to do something crazy. And I'm going to choose to use you in this process. And then he gives them the dimensions. Like it's one thing you go, oh, I got a boat. It's another when, when you see that how large the boat is, that it's roughly 150 yards just in length. You go, this is going to take me and my sons a long time, right? It took them 100 years to build the ark. Let's pick up in the story, Genesis chapter 7. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, and you and all of your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Fascinating, first of all. The phrase that he uses there, go into the ark, actually, when you literally translate it, means come into the ark. With the perspective that they were not alone, that God was already there. That God was in the ark, waiting with them, going to be with them, that they weren't left on their own. How many times in our life do we think God is saying, hey, go do this, and he's going to leave us on our own? Instead, picture this. God said, hey, come to me. Come in here. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. It says, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of the clean animals, the male and the... The male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and its mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive in the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and everything, every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. He had good health. 
Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons, wives with him, went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and the animals that were not clean, and of the birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with the Noah. As God had commanded Noah, and after seven days the water of the flood came upon the earth. So back to the questions here. What does it look like for us to listen to the voice of God? The second thing is we have to be willing to wait on the Lord. We have to be willing to wait on the Lord. It's fascinating to me that in this moment, God says to Noah and his family, Hey, come, come, it's time to get in the ark. They get in the ark. How long until it actually begins to rain? Seven days. Seven days. They had to wait. They're going, okay, God, we know something's about to happen. We've never experienced this before. It can happen. We're here. We're comfortable. We got the animals in here. I'm taking care of them. You said this rain thing's going to happen. Why isn't it happening? Not only that, I mean, think about it. Noah is building this ark among his neighbors. We know that the place is wicked. We know that the place is violent. We know that people are doing whatever they want to do. And here he is. He's taken a hundred years to build this. Can you imagine the ridicule that Noah and his family received? It had to be immense. The whole time going, no, I'm trusting what God told me to do. I'm trusting him. A hundred years with this vision. Well, this is what God told me to do. It's going to rain, which I don't know what it is, but I know it's not going to be pretty. And we're supposed to take refuge in this spot. God, I'm trusting you. I don't know how this is going to work, but we're trusting you. When I read the story of Noah, I'm like, this guy is a dude. He's tough as nails. Not only just physically being able to build this ark between 506 years of age, but in the midst of the ridicule and everything that was playing out culturally around him. And then they get in the ark and they have to wait another seven days. And then it actually, what? It begins to rain. The floodwaters come up. The entire earth is covered. They are waiting on the Lord. They floated around for roughly a year. Waiting on the Lord, trusting that he's preparing the next chapter for their life and for their experience. Friends, does God have you in a place of waiting right now? It's usually in the moments of waiting that we tend to bolt. While we wait, all you and I are called to do is to be faithful. Stay faithful. Be faithful with the things that God has placed in your hands. And then it's fascinating. You get to chapter 8, verse 13 and 14. Floodwaters are receding. Get this. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from all of the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. 
It was in that moment that they were released to leave the ark. So the ground, the water has resided, and they still have to wait another two months inside the ark before they leave. Why? God was prepping everything to take place and to be prepared. It needed time for plants to grow, for things to be ready, not only for Noah and his family, but for all the animals to be released back into nature. Sometimes the very thing, what it means for us to listen to the Lord, is to actually wait on the Lord. The third thing we see, what it means for us to listen to the Lord, means that we worship the Lord. We worship the Lord. So in Genesis chapter 8, starting in verse 15, so they see that the ground has is, is been dried, they've been waiting for two months, and then it says, Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, every creepy thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creepy thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Fascinating. Noah here, he gets the command, you're free. Open the door. Let everything go. And instead, I I imagine most of us in that moment, our natural inclination is, I got to go scope this out. I got to go find what we're going to be able to eat. I got to figure this next step out. I don't want to live in the ark anymore. I need a home that's on ground, right? But Noah's first response in this moment was of worship. He worshiped God. He had actually brought with him the thing, the very thing that he would make an offering to God on the ark. Which reminds me that worship requires you and I to move beyond worry. Worship over worry. Noah was willing in that moment to give up his own security. He didn't worry about what the next meal was going to be. He wasn't worrying about shelter. He wasn't worrying about all this, how it was all going to play out in that moment. He slowed down and he took time to thank God. Sometimes the very thing that you and I, we need to do, we need to slow down, we need to not worry, and we need to worship. We need to thank God for where we are, for what he has done, and the experience of grace that has existed and been very real in our lives. What is worship? Worship is so much more than just singing songs. Worship is so much more than just coming and sitting and listening to a sermon. Worship is a mentality. Worship is what I would classify, what I would call an all in 
mentality. In other words, our entire life can be oriented around who God is, what God is doing, and what he's calling us to do. And when we do that, that's worship. Practical moment here for us. How are you doing in that area of your life? I'm not just talking about one hour when it's convenient to show up on Sunday morning in a middle school and worship. How are you worshiping God with your decisions? How are you worshiping God with your time? How are you using the gifts that God has actually given you to worship him? How are you using the finances that God has placed in your pocket to worship him? Are you making him the priority in your life? I could take a look at any of your calendars and your checking account, and I could tell right away what your number one priority in life is. Is it centered around God? Is he your number one? Because when it comes back to it, when we experience God's grace, when we live by God's grace, we will be willing to listen to God's voice. And the natural play out of that is worship. Not in just one area of my life, but in every area of my life. That I'll worship him with the words that come out of my mouth the thoughts that go through my mind when I'm sitting by myself, the way that I prioritize my time, the way that I steward the gifts that God has placed in my hands, the way that I use my finances. Friends, we're, we're in the process of building a church here where our hope, our desire, our prayer is that people will come to know and follow Jesus. For that to become a reality, it has to be an all-in mentality all in on the mission of what God is doing here locally, but in your life as well. I, I can tell you first of all, right now, I'm all in. I'm all in. We pray our hearts have been broken for this community. Since 2015, we moved here, began to start coaching. And I see the brokenness all around us. Broken families, Broken marriages, broken culture, kids walking around with no understanding of purpose in their lives. We cannot just keep it here. This is For us to just keep it here and just make it a one-hour thing of our week, it's selfish. It's not loving. I'm all in. I just want to know who's all in with me. And I ask that you join me. There's so much that we can learn from Noah. He was tough as nails. He walked with God. He waited on God. He worshiped God. Let's be the same kind of people. And let's see what God can do. Let me pray with you. Lord, we love you. We're desperate for you. We need you in our lives. And I just ask God that you would call us to be the men, the women that you would have us to be.
Make us strong. Make us resilient. Make us passionate for our community. That we would have the opportunity to see many come to know you as a result. We love you. We worship you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.